Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. We're continuing on in our study through Luke and specifically looking at the whole issue of it being more than a coincidence. And today we're going to look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 21 through 39. And, of course, the baby Jesus is there, and he is really the center of what this passage is talking about. His circumcision, the praises that were given to him and by others. But as we think about the centrality of Christ there, I want to talk to you about four individuals who interacted with Jesus as he came to the temple that day, the baby Jesus, 33 days after he was born. And I want to talk about their faith, because there's some powerful lessons from their life for you and I. You know, faith is an interesting thing. It's it's something that we struggle with, all of us. Jesus even said himself that if we had faith like the seed of a mustard plant, we could be able to do great things. So obviously we all have very small faith. But yet we're going to see faith lived out in these individual lives because it was lived out in the way that they interacted with the baby Jesus and what they did. And I think that has to have implications for you and I as we live in our culture today, as we try not to compartmentalize our Christianity, so to speak, to only be Christian on certain times of the week and do things we want to do on the rest of the time of the week. We're going to see that they were consistent with their faith for in every aspect of their life. And there's some lessons there for you and I to learn. Because their focus was the child. And so my question to you is, is is your focus the child? Is your focus Jesus? Because he's no longer a child. Is your focus Jesus? So look with me. We're going to look at verses 21 through 39. And then we're going to glean some things. Verse 21, Luke writes, When eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death till he saw the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law... He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your words. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, the light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things. 
which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Just a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many may be revealed. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Peniel, of the tribe of Asher, and she was of great age, and she lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow, about eighty-four years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Coming in that instance, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who look for redemption in Jerusalem. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. An interesting story. We could kind of buzz by it real quick because it's about the infancy of Jesus. But I want us to spend some time here because we're going to see four individuals and see some things from their lives that we can apply to our life. We're going to look at Mary and Joseph. We're going to look at Simeon. And we're going to look at Anna. We're going to see some things about their life because God blessed each one of them. God did something wonderful for each one of them, and it was because of the life they led. And so I want us to see some things here. First of all, I want you to notice Mary and Joseph. The first thing I want you to see as we look at what it says about them is that they were faithful. They were faithful to God's Word. They were faithful to God's Word. You say, what do you mean by that? Here's what they did. When 33 days, when the time of purification was over, because here's what happened. In the Old Testament law, when a woman gave birth, because of the nature of birth, she would be considered ceremonially unclean. That is, she couldn't go and worship God in that time period. So there was a time period in which she was set aside that she had to separate herself from the rest, and that would be about 33 days. Now, because Joseph helped her when she gave birth, he too would be considered ceremonially unclean. So when that time of purification was over, they had to go and make a sacrifice then so that they could be, quote, right with God. And so here they are. They're doing what they need to do in order to do what's right before God. Not just with regards to her purification, but there were also laws regarding the child, a firstborn child, that they had to dedicate that child, and then they had to pay God to get that child back. It was a redemption thing. So here they are, they're being faithful to the Word of God. Now you say, what's so significant about that? Here, I want you to understand something. Think with me for a moment. Here she is. She's probably 15 years old, 15 or 16, maybe 14. She's pregnant. We already know that she's probably been a scandal back home in Nazareth. Remember, Joseph was going to put her away because she obviously was pregnant before he took her as his wife. We know later in the life of Jesus that the rumors were about Jesus and his birth even in Jerusalem at that time. So it's not, I mean, you have to understand, it's a pretty small community. Even though it's a nation, it's a pretty small community. People are aware of what's going on. So here she is, she's facing all of this stuff. They're facing all this ridicule probably. In spite of all of that, their attitude is that they're going to what? Do what God tells them to do. They say, now what's so significant about that? I want you to think about our lives for a moment. As you think about our lives, as you think about the things that we go through, how easy is it for us to give up on God? Think about that for a moment. Especially with Christians. Have you noticed that Christians, 
You know, Jesus said, by their love we shall know that we are his disciples. Jesus said that, but when you talk about Christians, you can tell Christians by how mean we are to each other. And we do have a tendency to be what? Mean with each other and condemning of each other. And the way we treat each other is not right, is it? And so sometimes when people go through things, what they, they want, rather than coming to a community of healing, to the church to find healing and, and to find acceptance, a lot of times we will what, repel people away from us because of our attitudes and so forth. And, and our tendency is just to leave the church, isn't it? To leave God. Here she is. She's probably being ridiculed by the people of God. But yet they're faithful to God enough to go to Jerusalem, to go to the temple, to make their sacrifices. Isn't that interesting? They were faithful, in spite of everything else. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. Think about this for a moment. They're coming in. Some of you can relate to this, because maybe you've been around long enough when it wasn't acceptable to have children out of wedlock. And you would see that one who had a child out of wedlock carrying that baby around town, and people would say, and be whispering and stuff. We don't do that very much anymore. It just happens all the time now. But can you see them walking into the temple with the baby? Think about it. And the whispering lips. But see, that didn't distract them. They were there to do what they had to do. They were faithful to God's word. The other thing I want you to see about this couple, and this is, has great implications for us, especially today, is that they were not held back by finances. So what do you mean by that? Look with me. Luke makes a point here that I think is very interesting because he wants us to tell something about this couple. And and look with me at verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. See, the law required that the sacrifice that they had to make be a lamb. They had to give a lamb for what they were going to make sacrifices for. But the law also gave an exemption there, and it said that if you could not afford a lamb, that is, if you were too poor to have a lamb to come to bring, you could instead offer two pigeons or two turtle doves. So here we see that the writer Luke is stressing to us that Mary and Joseph are poor. So because they're poor... They're going to be faithful even though they're poor. They're going to do what God wants them to do. They're not going to be held back by the fact that I don't have any money. Can't do what God wants me to do. Isn't that, that's a total opposite attitude of where we are today, isn't it? God may speak to us. The first thing we do is, okay, well, I understand you want me to do that, Lord, but let me check my resources. And if our resources aren't there, what do we normally say? What do we say? I don't think I can do it, Lord. I don't think I can do this. Obviously, you didn't want me to do it because I don't have the finances to do it. But I want you to see something about them. Finances didn't govern their thinking. Devotion to God did. You understand what I'm saying? They say, why is that an important point today? Because, look, let's be honest, the economy is getting bad. It's already bad. We don't feel it as much here because it's always been bad here. But it's bad. And they say it's going to get worse. Before it gets better. What does that mean? I don't know. But they say it's going to get worse. That's all I'm focusing on. And here's the reality of it. What will happen is, is that a lot of times we'll look at our bottom line and we'll say, well, you know, God, I can't do stuff for you. Good if things were going good. Wrong line of thinking. Wrong line of thinking. What do you mean? 
Here's what I mean. When God tells us to do something, he usually tells us to do things that we can't do so that he does it through us, so who gets the glory? God. So some of you, like for instance, you might be sitting here, and God is speaking to you, and he's saying, you know what, over on the other side of the room is somebody who has a need. You can help them. First thing we do is, is, can't do that, Lord, I've got the time, don't have the paycheck, can't do it. But yet God's telling you to do it. He may say to you, you don't have the time or the paycheck, but I'll give you the time. And I'll give you the finances to do it. So we'll we'll wipe out any thought of helping each other out, especially during these hard times. See, what's wrong with that thinking? The focus is on who? Ourselves rather than on God. See, this couple was focused on God. They were focused. They were going to be faithful to his word. They weren't going to be held back by their financial situation. They were going to do what God asked them to do. Are you going to do that? See, that's the first two people I want you to see. There is a second person, and it's an individual by the name of Simeon, who's very old, who some scholars believe may have been from a line of prophets. But he has an interaction with the baby's life because he gives a prophetic statement concerning the baby. But I want you to see a couple of the things from his life that I want can maybe speak to us. The first thing I want you to see is this, that he was spiritually in tune with God. He was spiritually in tune with God. Notice what it says there, verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Here's what I want you to see. This was not just some guy who's coming to the temple and just worshiping there a normal. The, the point the writer is making here is that he was very devout. He had lived with the hope that one day he would see the salvation of God, that he would see God's Messiah. That's what it means by the consolation of Israel, is the Messiah, the Christ. He lived with, he lived with it. And he was in tune to God's Holy Spirit and what God's Spirit was saying in his life. He was spiritually in tune. That's the kind of guy he was. Is that who you are? You say, what do you mean? I read my Bible, I pray. Yeah, but that's a little bit different than being in tune. So what do you mean? See, here's the thing. You can read your Bible every morning, you can pray, and not be spiritually in tune. I thought you want me to read my Bible and pray. Yes, I do, because I want you to be spiritually in tune. See, this man, when he was... Look, look at the description. I'll read it to you again here. He was just and devout. That is, he was devoted to God. He was waiting for God's fulfillment of his promises. He was waiting for God to do something. He was anticipating God doing something. Listen, when you go into your Bible time and your prayer time, are you anticipating God doing something in that time when you meet with him? Or are you just reading? See, there's a difference. There's a difference. When you come in here, are you just waiting for the service to get over so you can get home? Like today, I'm going to be... It's warm enough that I can fire the grill up and do cheeseburgers. My wife told me we're doing cheeseburgers today. I thought, Great. I thought we were going to have soup. But, I mean, are you anticipating getting out of here? What was your anticipation? See, he was in tune with God because he was anticipating something from God. He was looking to God for something. See, you and I can get caught up in a ritual of just having our... In fact, you know what? You've got the new prayer cards. We're starting a new year. So the white card today 
is for starting January 1st. And we want to encourage you to read your Bible. But the problem is, is you can just read your Bible, put it down, and walk away, and ten minutes later you think, what did I read? Let's be honest, how many of us have done that? A lot of us have, haven't we? Let's be doubly honest now. Were we in tune? No, we weren't. This guy was in tune to God. In fact, he was in tune to God so much, God said to him, you're going to live and you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. My friends, listen to me. We speak in terms of relationships with God. It's not a one-way thing where it's just you reading his stuff. He interacts with you and speaks to you but you've got to be in tune. You've got to be in tune. So he was spiritually in tune with God. Here's the other thing I want you to see about Simeon. And that is, he waited for God's word to be fulfilled. He waited for God's word to be fulfilled. Now, this one we have a hard time with. Because that's not our culture. Some of you can remember back when you were younger when you had to wait for things, when you ordered something from the Sears and Roebuck catalog. Back then you couldn't track the UPS to see when it was coming and get upset because it showed up two days later. You just waited for it to show up and you hoped it showed up before Christmas. Now, I mean, when you order something like on eBay or something, if that guy doesn't have it there soon, you're giving that guy who you bought it from a poor shipping rating And you're just upset. We go through McDonald's. They don't have our order right. We get upset. Some of you can remember when McDonald's didn't even have a drive-thru. And you had to go in and wait. We don't like waiting. And here's what happens. is, is We transfer that line of thinking over in our relationship with God. And so we give up praying. Because he didn't answer us quick enough. We give up hope that he's going to do something. Because he didn't do it quick enough the last time. The fact of the matter is, is Simeon, this is the kind of person Simeon was. He, all he knew was, is God said, you're going to live until you see the child. He didn't say, it's going to happen on Tuesday, on this day. See, we, we've lost the whole concept of waiting. We don't like to wait. We don't. And, and let's be honest, we've got to be realistic about that even in our real lives, don't we? You go to a doctor's appointment, you just might as well expect you're going to what? Wait. But don't we get ticked off? We've got to remove that thinking from our spiritual lives. Because here's Simeon, and the scripture, the, the implication of the scripture is this was an old man waiting for death. But he wasn't waiting for death. He was waiting to see the child. There was an anticipation for God. How many of you are waiting for God to do something in your life? How many of you are waiting for him to reveal himself in wonderful ways in your life? How many of you are waiting? That's what he did. He waited. Waited. The other thing I want you to see there about Simeon is this, and this is what marked his life. He praised God for his faithfulness. Look at what he says there. When, he, when Mary and Joseph come in with a baby, I mean, he was led into the temple, the scripture says, by the Holy Spirit, and it's like the Holy Spirit tapped him on the shoulder and said, There he is. And, I mean, think about it. So here, think about Mary and Joseph. They're coming in to do the sacrifices, and if you're a mom with your first baby, what are you like? You ever notice that? Moms with their first baby? We've got, a, we've got plastic shields, protection. You've got to protect that child. You've got to make sure nothing happens to it. You ever notice with the last baby you quit doing that? Oh, he fell on the ground. Well, somebody pick him up. 
You ever notice that? that when it's the first baby. So you can think about Mary. Here comes this guy. She doesn't even know him. He swoops up the baby in his arms and begins to praise God for the baby. It says, Lord, you can let your servant die now. And Scripture said they marveled. Of course they were marveling. They were marveling. He praised God. You know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. When you notice these chapters, these first two chapters, and the whole interaction about the baby coming, you notice that on the part of the people who are interacting, whether it's Elizabeth and Zacharias, whether it's Mary, here you see Simeon, they are praising God for who? Jesus. Is that true of your life? Is that true of your life? Don't, don't answer that out loud. Just think about that. Is that true of your life? Are you praising God for Jesus in your life? The answer to that question will reveal something that you need to explore. So he praised God for his faithfulness. There's one other person here we don't know very much about here. It's just mentioned very briefly, just three verses, two verses actually. And it's an elderly woman by the name of Anna. We know that she's at least 84 years old. At least 84 years old. And we know that she's a widow. And we know that she served God. And so that's the first thing I want you to see is, is that she focused her attention on God. She focused her attention on God and what God wanted. Notice with me what the scripture says. Look, look with me at verse 36. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess. And notice, she was of a great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. So she had only been married seven years. Then look with me, verse 37. And this woman was a widow. She was about 84 years old. So from the time that her husband died, she did, notice what it says, who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. She from that time of becoming a widow, her total focus then was what? Worshiping God. Serving Him. Fasting and praying. And that was her focus. Her attention was on God. Now you're sitting here saying, well, it's wonderful for her to do that, George, but I got a husband. I got a, I got a wife. I've got kids. I got grandkids. I got a job. I mean, it's wonderful for her to be in, in, in the temple all day long. And you know, it'd be kind of boring for me to be here all day long, George. You're missing the point of what he's talking about. I'm not asking or saying that you need to be like her and hanging out here at the church all day long for 84 years or more. But what I want you to see is, is that the one thing we see from her life is that her focus was on who? God. And so what we see about Anna is, is that her focus was on God. Can we say that about ourselves? I think if we're honest with ourselves, and that includes myself, We'd have to say no. We'd have to say no. So her focus, she focused her attention on God. The other thing I want you to see is, is she told others what she saw. She told others what she saw. Here's the implication. When you meet the Jesus, look at what it says there. Look with me. Look at verse 38. Look at what it says. Coming in at that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who look for redemption in Jerusalem. When you meet Jesus... When you truly meet Jesus, they're going to share that with others in some form or another. That brings up an interesting point. Could it be the reason why we don't share? It's not because we're scared to share. Could it be the reason why we don't share with others about Jesus in our life? It's not because we don't 
we don't want to enter into a discussion with them about it because we're afraid they're going to ask us crazy questions like, did Adam and Eve have a belly button? Things like that. Could it be the reason why we don't share is because it really reveals the reality of the impact of Jesus in our lives? See, here's this woman. She's serving God in the temple. And all the scripture says, it doesn't even say that she had contact with the child. It says that she came in the instant that Simeon was praising the Lord for the child, and she gave thanks to God, and then she went out and told others about Jesus. So we don't even know that she saw, handled the child, touched the child. I kind of think she does. Ladies not touching babies, I just can't see that not happen. But here's the thing. She told others. She told others. Here's some thoughts for you and I as we think about these four people and the implications of that for our life today in the application. Three things that we see from each set, from Mary and Joseph, from Simeon, and from Anna. So let's talk about Mary and Joseph and the application from their lives and what does it mean for us. Number one, are you faithful to his word? Are you faithful to his word? Now the implication of that, can I be honest with you, is that you read it. And listen, you know what? And this is not, I'm not a, I don't push any one version. You know that. But if the Bible you have, you can't read, get one you can read. If you can't read it because the language, I'll be honest with you, the old King James is written on a 13th grade level. Most people today read on an 8th grade level. If you can't read because you got the Bible grandma gave you or something, it's an air room, keep it. But get a Bible you can read. And allow God's word to take root in your heart and be faithful to what you read. But don't let, you can't read it, be an excuse not to. There's too many translations that you can read that are good that we would say to you, read. I prefer the New King James. And that's what's in the pews. But use it. Read it. The implication is if I'm going to be faithful to it, i got to what? i got to know it. And God give me the strength to do what you're telling me to do. So are you faithful to his word? And with that, do you read your Bible? The other thing, we see this from Simeon's life, is, is are you in tune with God? Are you in tune to Him? When you spend time with Him, when you pray, are you anticipating Him? And I mentioned this, when you come in here, are you anticipating God telling you something? Are you anticipating? And listen, not just through the message. When Brad puts together the songs, he prays over it, he thinks about the music. When he brings forth, when a special music comes, God is communicating to you through all of these different avenues. Are you anticipating when you walk in here, God saying something to you, speaking to your heart, and saying, yo, you, I want you to do this, or I want you to change this, or I want you to quit doing that. Are you in tune to Him? Or does it just go, are you spiritually in tune with God? So we see that from Simeon's life. Here's the other thing from Anna's life. Where's your focus? Where's your focus? Is it the ball game that's going to be on this afternoon? What is it? Where's your focus? Now notice something. With each of these three, three things, let's, let's kind of go work through them. Are you faithful to his word? Are you in tune with God? Where's your focus? Do you see how they're all connected together? Faithfulness to his word requires that I'm in tune to him. Being in tune to him requires that he's my focus. You see the point? I allow him to be my focus by being in his word. And again, as I'm faithful to it, I'm in tune to him. They're all interconnected. So you're sitting here and you're saying, well, I'm not, I'm not as in tune as I should be. Well, maybe your focus is in the wrong place. 
See the example of these folks? Our prayer is, God, help us to become like them and respond to Jesus the way you they did. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.